here. If you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and grab that and turn to the book of Exodus. Turn to the book of Exodus. We're going to continue in chapter 2, and, and you're on page 54 now in the Pew Bible. Page 54. We are turning pages. We're moving into the story a little more. And the title of our message this morning from the book of Exodus is this, The God Who Sees All. The God Who Sees All. We're going to continue through chapter 2 today, but whereas we started chapter 2 last week, we were focused mostly upon the birth of Moses. We talked about his deliverance by the mighty hand of God's providence, working in big things and small things, and the story now where we're picking it up this morning, it's moved us rapidly ahead in the life of Moses. Moses is not a baby anymore. He's not even a child now. When we read of the next major event in his life, we'll pick it up in verse 11. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Now, I want to pause here on verse 11 for a moment, because like I just said, the story has now rapidly jumped us ahead Many years in the span of just one verse. In fact, 40 years have passed since the start of chapter 2, verse 1, when Moses was born to this moment now in verse 11. We're 40 years into the future. We know this from Acts chapter 7, verses 22 and 23, where we read Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. That's how he was raised in the palace. He was mighty in his words and deeds. And when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. So Moses is now a 40-year-old man when he goes out and sees what is happening. So we need to understand, as we've talked about for the last couple of weeks, trying to understand the historical context, the reality of what was happening there, 40 years have gone by with the situation being what we've described over the last three weeks. 40 years of hatred by the Egyptians towards the Israelite people. 40 years of evil policies put in place by a wicked Pharaoh to try and destroy this people through slavery, through infanticide, through calls for open murder. It was not just a few days. It wasn't just a couple years of persecution. This was an entire generation of people for 40 long years that suffered and were oppressed and were treated as enemies in Egypt because of the actions of that evil Pharaoh. I think sometimes we can miss a really important truth that should bear weight on our lives day by day because we are often too self-centered in our thinking. We're too unaware of the length and the breadth of history, the grand narrative of God's people. Our view of life is often too short and too localized. If we were to look at the, real, the scope of history as it unfolds, understanding the length of biblical history rightly, the truth that we would grasp, the truth you and I need to grasp would be clearer to us. It's this. God's timing is not always our timing. And often God's timing is a lot slower than we think it should be. Right? If we're just being honest. His timing's not our timing, and often we think he's a little bit slow compared to what we would like to see. As humans, we want deliverance. We want relief. We want to exit hardship quickly. We don't want to stay in seasons of suffering and persecution. We don't even want to dwell long in the consequences of our own sins and foolishness. We tend to want relief from those things immediately. We don't like to dwell in hard times for long. We want our situations to change as soon as possible, really. Let's be honest. When it doesn't happen that way, the result is that often many of us 
respond poorly. We respond with anger. We respond with doubt of God. We respond by dishonoring God, questioning, Lord, why is this still happening? I believe that if we understand the grand story of Scripture rightly, if we were to understand the whole narrative, the whole scope of Scripture broadly, and then in singular places like this, realizing a verse transition, just like this one verse in verse 11, can represent a long period of time, 40 years in the case of the life of Moses, But understand that all of this time, all of these moments, all these years are all part of God's perfect plan. It will help us internalize this truth. God's timing is not always our timing. This truth is important for you and I to understand. So important that it's communicated to us over and over and over again throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Because it's hard for us to grasp this and to remember this in our hard times. When we want relief and we want out. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9 says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient. Understand, Peter says, God's not slow, he's patient. There's a big difference there. You and I need to remember that God, he's outside of time. He's not bound by the concepts of hours and days and years, even thousands of years, the way that we are. God created time. He's in complete control of time. To him, there's no difference between a day and a thousand years because he's outside of it. He's beyond time. He's never rushed. He is never compelled to do anything. He's not forced by some external clock ticking away that he has to get something done right now or he'll miss the chance. No, God is the God outside of time, greater than all of that. He has a divine plan that the scriptures reveal to us he will accomplish, and in the timing he chooses. But you and I, we need to remember that as little mortal creatures who are bound up and who are under the constant threat of Time, as we talked about just weeks ago in our series on devotions, time for us is fleeting. Time for us is uncertain. Time, once it's gone, we never get it back. We are under the pressure of time. God, he is not. And so we should be careful not to think our God is slow or worse, unfaithful, but to recognize he is patient and God is accomplishing his plan in his time, in his perfect way. He's never rushed. He's never missing a moment. We might think, Lord, this is, this is dragging on quite a bit. D- did, you, did you miss the chance to get me out? No, he has a plan, a perfect plan that he's unfolding, no matter how long, how hard that may seem for us. Remember, God's the one who said in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's always right, I believe, for us to be reminded of this. There's a huge difference between us and our God. He is so vastly different than you and I are. He's not just a better version of us. He's altogether perfect and complete. You and I, we were filled with failings and faults and needs for improvement and change, but God, he is immutable. He's unchanging because he's already perfect and complete. He can't get any better, and he promises he won't be any worse. He's perfect, reliable, and trustworthy because of that. And to really understand that, to understand that's who God is, is the beginning of wisdom in our life. 
It's the beginning of transformative life change when we live in light of this reality. To really understand this truth pushes us not to become depressed or downtrodden when we face long periods of suffering or persecution or evil around us, but rather to know we can go through every moment of this life knowing that our God is sovereign, he's in control, and his timing is perfect. So we can trust him, even if his plan is different than what we would prefer. So to go back to this time, far, far removed from us, in the life of Moses, realize it's been a long time from verse 1 to verse 11. Forty years of suffering, 40 years of persecution. An entire generation has grown up knowing enslavement, knowing hardship. We read about Moses' response to those things, verses 11 and 12. So Moses went out to his people and looked upon their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, as I've been saying in the last few weeks of this series, we all need to be careful when we're reading the Bible not to go to any person we find and try to make them into the perfect hero. Right? Because aside from God, everyone that we're encountering in Scripture is deeply flawed and sinful human, just like we are. So we can relate to them because they're broken and messed up and do the wrong thing, hey, just like you and I. Moses, this one that we've been reading about, this one we talked about last week, who was chosen by God to become a, a deliverer and was a foreshadow of Christ, having received a miraculous deliverance from death by God's providential hand in the ver- first ten verses of this chapter, he grows up, and 40 years later, Moses doesn't come onto the scene for Israel as Moses the magnificent deliverer. No, he's Moses the murderer. There's a lot of discussion that takes place over the motives of Moses here. Some go so far as to say Moses did absolutely nothing wrong. He was just exercising his right. He was a prince of Egypt. He did nothing legally or morally wrong. He could execute justice, or he could even choose to have subordinates killed if he so desired. So some go so far as to say there was no sin in Moses' actions here. But I think the text itself tells us Moses knew that what he was doing was wrong. Right? Look, look at the verse. It says he looked around this way and that. He's checking to see, are there any witnesses? Is anyone going to know if I do this? And then he kills a man. And rather than just saying, hey, no big deal. That's, I can do it. I'm a prince. He hides the body in the sand. Moses doesn't want his actions to be discovered. The murder of this Egyptian is not something Moses is proud of or indifferent to, thinking that's my right. It's no big deal. I can kill someone if I feel like it today. No, it's clear. Moses felt guilt and shame for what he had done. And he tried to hide it. Now here, you and I are a lot like Moses, right? Probably not murder and burying bodies, though many of you have a lot of land and hunting areas that you don't let other people go to. I I mean, just... (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, you and I, we're just like Moses in trying to hide our own sins, aren't we? We respond just like Moses responded. We know we've done something wrong. Now we want to cover it over. Some of us think we're really wise. There's sins that, that are dear to us, things that, that hold us captive, but we're not so brazen as to do those out in the open. We get into secret places when we feel like nobody's watching and no one will know, and then we commit those sins, and we indulge in those things. And our day and age gives us, sadly, a lot of opportunity for that to happen. Cell phones and tablets and laptops, they're great gifts, but because they can go anywhere and access all kinds of sinful materials or enable us to do all kinds of sinful things in isolated places, these things are ripe for temptation towards evil. 
youth and young adults today have access to, to cars, by and large, which are great blessings, but they can also be used to get away from the watchful, loving eyes of people who would help guide them away from evil things and towards righteousness. They can be used as opportunities to go out and commit and hide sins. And we as a people, all of us as humanity, we tend to want to hide our sins, but we never really can in the long run. We need to, we need to remember this. Look, look at what happens to Moses in the next few verses, Exodus 2, 13 to 15. So when Moses went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He, this man, answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Well, then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. Notice, Moses the murderer tried to hide his sin because he was afraid of being found out. He committed a sin. He thought in secret. He thought he'd hidden it away. But as soon as the very next day, the sin was known. It was exposed. When Moses tried to step into this conflict between these two Hebrews, his own people, the ones who'd been oppressed and suffering, who should have been brought together and unified in that, were instead turned towards one another. And Moses confronts that and steps into that. The, the man who's in the wrong exposes Moses' sin. I know what you've done, and I don't want to hear anything from you. Unless what? You're going to kill me like you killed him? Which prompts Moses to be afraid, which is right. <laughs> His fear is well-founded. There in verse 15, it says, when the news reached Pharaoh, Pharaoh, who's always apparently ready to kill somebody, he wants to respond by having Moses killed. Bringing this back to us, to you and I, on our tendencies to try and hide our sins, understand this morning, I want you to hear this, I love you too much not to tell you, the results for you will be the same as they were for Moses. Your sin will be exposed. Don't let the fact that some of you have secret sins right now that nobody else knows about yet, don't let that fact deceive you into thinking you're going to get away with it and you can continue to get away with it. You're not the exception. You're not better. You're not smarter than everyone else. It's only a matter of time before your sins are exposed. I'm not sure how many of you have um, followed the tragic news that's been developing, kind of unfolding over the last year. Uh, there was an apologist, well-known Christian apologist named Ravi Zacharias. He died in May of 2020, just about a year ago now. And towards the very end of his life, and then after his death, he became the subject of many accusations and investigations of misconduct. And what came to life as a result of these investigations, what was revealed was that for many years, he had been hiding a lot of immoral and illicit conduct, spiritual abusiveness, sexually explicit acts, he managed to keep them in the dark for many years, for a long time, but now it's all out in the light for anyone to see. If you Google his name, that's the first thing that comes up now. He got to the end of his life before these things started to come out, but understand, they did come out. His sins were exposed, and that's what will happen to each one of us. It's only a matter of time. And I know some of us are thinking... You're hiding things really well right now. And I want to tell you, it will eventually come out. And I also want to speak to some of you who think, you know what, I, I've, I, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to get all the way to my death before my stuff gets out. So I'm, I'm all right. There's some of you who have heart issues, who have thoughts that you think are secret right now, but they're really not. Those around you walking in the light of God see them. You're not really hiding them. You're just deceived by your own sin and the allurement of your own sin. John 3 and Ephesians 5 tell us the light exposes sin. 
And so those of you who love your sin, you love the darkness because you think it hides you, but those walking in the light see the sin. And why I'm imploring you so often, don't pretend. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. Don't pretend to be in a relationship with God that you're not. Don't pretend to be righteous and holy when you walk in here if you're not living that way outside of this room. Don't lie to yourself. It's far too serious of a thing to ignore. It's far too deadly of a thing not to deal with. No matter how well you succeed in hiding something right now, or if you're not really doing it and you're just deceived into thinking you're hiding it well, the Bible's emphatically clear that God sees all. Even the secret things. Even if you're doing a good job hiding it from those around you in your life, God himself sees it all. Proverbs 15.3 tells us the eyes of Yahweh are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Job 28.24 tells us, for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Hebrews 4.13 says, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God is the God who sees everything. There is nothing hidden from him. He knows it all. He will expose it all. There is judgment for it all. Listen to what he declares to us in Luke 12, 2 and 3. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14, the last chapter in the book, the last verse in the book says, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Friends, I love you too much to let you think like Moses that you are going to get away with your sins. Whether they're big or small, whether it's lust or it's murder, whether it's bitterness or it's gossip, God sees everything. I want you to feel the weight of that. I certainly do. I have all week preparing this message. Moses tried to hide his sin, and it was exposed and known the very next day. And so Moses is put into a position where he knows he's going to have to pay for his actions. He's clear there's a consequence to what I have done. I'm going to face the wrath of Pharaoh. The palace that had been the place of protection for him and deliverance for him was no longer safe. Moses had to do something in response to the consequences that were set before him. So we read in Exodus 2.15 there, the verse ends, Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he stayed in the land of Midian. And there he sat down by a well. The solution Moses came up with when his sin was exposed and the consequences were right before him was he would run. Imagine this, a 40-year-old man leaving his home leaving his place of prestige and power. He was a prince of of Egypt. He had a lot going for him. He leaves it all behind. He goes off to the land of Midian where he and his sins are not known. He hopes there he can start a new life. And in the following verse, that desire is actually fulfilled. If you read verses 16 to 22, you find Moses acts again, but this time, unlike the murderous and then the hiding act over his sin, Moses acts righteously and generously. He protects and serves and saves these daughters of a Midian priest. And the man, when he hears about what Moses has done, responds with great gratitude. And he he gives Moses a home and gives him one of his daughters to marry and, and a new life to begin there as a shepherd. And it's a far cry from the palace, but Moses 
Moses has now a home, a wife, eventually a son, there in his exile in Midian. I want to remind us that God saw everything that happened in Egypt. He saw the evilness of Pharaoh's heart where we started, right? He saw the evil commands that Pharaoh enacted towards his people. He saw even the three-month-old baby Moses when he was put into a basket in this little ark on the river. God saw him there, protected him there, guided him to the Pharaoh's daughter who saved him. God saw even then the murder in the desert and the attempt to cover it up by Moses. He saw his flight to Midian. He saw Moses' acts in Midian. And God continued to provide for Moses all along the way. God saw Moses in the desert of Midian where he's run. He's trying to hide from Pharaoh's view, but God still sees him. And God actually blesses Moses with a family and a home and a new life there in Midian. This, too, is what it means that God sees his people. God not only sees sin to judge, but he also sees our needs and he provides for us when we're his people. Look at the end of, of chapter 2 here in 23 to 25. Now during those many days when Moses was in Midian, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Look at this last verse. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Today, there are a lot of distorted views of God that exist in our world. As we just talked about, some of you may have a distorted view of God in that you think God doesn't see your secret sins. God isn't really omniscient, knowing all things. God's kind of distant and remote, maybe uninterested or inattentive, so you can kind of do your thing in the darkness and get away with it. But as we said, God does see all things. He sees every sinful action, every single word, every sinful thought, every heart intent that we have. He knows all of it. Nothing's hidden from his gaze. Nothing is absent in his knowledge. God, in the scriptures, revealed not to be far but close. Not to be indifferent, but personal. To be interested, to be attentive to each of our lives. And that's weighty. Because it has real implications for you and I. What we look at, what we say, what we do. But understand, God, for his people, you and I who are trusting in him today, for his people, he does not just look at our sins alone. And some of us may have that type of distorted view of God. That we think God is just this God of anger and wrath. He's this, this kind of this old man up in the sky just looking for a reason to get you. He couldn't possibly love you because you know that you're pretty messed up. And if he's omniscient, he's righteous, and he's holy, that must mean he doesn't want anything to do with you. But hear me, God, his gaze is upon the sins of his people, but it's not absent of love either. God looks upon his people with love. He knows how broken we are. He knows how many times we fail. He knows how much sin is in our lives. But if we are his people, he loves us. He sees our sins and our weaknesses, our failings. He sees our needs but he loves his people. And in response to those things, we don't find wrath and judgment and all the righteous anger that we deserve. If we're his people, he responds to us in grace and mercy and kindness and provision. 
Understand, God saw Moses after the murder when he fled to try and get away from his sin. He saw him and God provided for him in his grace and mercy and kindness there in Midian. God saw the people of Israel, these last few verses tell us, in their suffering, in their hardship, hundreds of years of suffering and pain and hardship that's endured by the people. God sees all of that. He hears their cries and he responds. That's, spoiler alert, what the rest of the book's about. And God sees his people still today. You and I, with all of our sins, with all of our failings, if we are in Christ, if we are his people, his response to us is the same as it was to Moses. It's mercy and grace and kindness here and now too. Christian, understand, God sees you fully and loves you truly. He sees your sin. And yet his response is to deliver you from the death you deserve. He sees your need and he comes to you as your help. He sees your weakness and he puts himself there as your shield and support. So we can be glad that this is our God who sees all things. We can trust in him because we know he loves his people. Not because we're lovely, we're not. He doesn't love us because he's unaware of our sinfulness and, and if he found out, he might not love us anymore. No, he knows it all and he still loves you. That's good news. That's good news. He sees all and he loves his people and he loves us because of Jesus Christ, because of his perfection and his righteousness that covers you and I and all the great fullness of salvation that Jesus gives to us. What it means to be a Christian, my friends, is not that we have no sin or that you have to hide your sin from God. It means that God is the one who himself covers our sins by his grace, by the work of Jesus Christ, who died upon the cross to be made sin on our behalf, that he has taken the wrath that you and I deserve, taking the punishment that you and I deserve upon himself and given to us his perfect robes of righteousness to cover us. He clothes us so we can have forgiveness and mercy and grace, that we can experience God's steadfast love. And so if you're not a Christian, you're not clothed in the righteousness and covered in Christ. Your sins are exposed before God. They will be exposed in this world, and you're in a precarious position. You cannot hide from God. You will be found out. You will face God's wrath if you are not in Christ. The only way to be saved is to come to Jesus, to give us what he has that we cannot earn by placing our faith and our trust in him and his completed work alone. That's the only way to have the gaze of God be filled with love towards us. So understand, God is looking at each of us right now. He sees us in this room it might be hard to find our church on a GPS, but not the eye of God. He knows each of us. He sees us this morning. He knows what's happening in your heart right now. He knows how you're responding to these things. He knows if it's gratitude and faith that's growing or it's indifferent and sinful rejection. God sees this. Right now, he sees each one of us. 
And so what I want us to do in response to who God is and how he sees and knows us is I want us to respond and see him in goodness and mercy and kindness because we come to him through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where our faith and our hope is placed. That's what I want the response of each of us to be this morning, to know he sees and to trust he sees us in love because we believe the word of Christ and we are his. So today we have the chance to respond. The worship team is going to come and they're going to lead us in one final song to give us moments to respond to the word of the Lord. And, and maybe today that some of us are going to be moved to repent of our sins, public sins that we've committed that others know about or secret sins that you think are hidden away. But today you're going to need to lay those down at his feet and trust that as you do, he already sees them, he already knows, but his response to those of us in Christ will be love and will be forgiveness. He is the God of providence. He's sovereign over the big things and the small things. He's the God who sees all today. So let's worship him and let's respond to who he is by trusting in him, by repenting of the sins that we might have been trying to hide today. Let's lay those things down and let's begin to follow him Let's obey his ways. Let's seek to forsake our sins so that we can be seen in Christ, not in our own nature, because of the love of God who sees you and loves you if you are in him today. Let's sing and we'll close in prayer in a few moments. Jesus, we come to you because you offer grace and forgiveness to us. And that is our need. Every one of us in this room needs to come to you to find grace and mercy, forgiveness for our sins. Lord, we are a broken people. We do fall far short of the standard that is set for us. But in you, we find the beautiful promise that there is no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. So today, Lord, I pray for every heart in this room, for every life, Lord, that you would break through any hard places that exist, anything that we're trying to keep into the darkest corners, Lord, that your light would beautifully and wonderfully expose those things so that we could find forgiveness and freedom from them today. Lord, let us be people of the light, who love the light, to walk in the light. People who have great confidence in who you are, in what you've said, and what you have done for us. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your word and for speaking to us through the scriptures. Lord, I pray now that as we leave this place, we don't leave here the same. We walk out of these doors resolved to be closer to you, to know that you see us and to live every day seeing you at work in and through and all around us. Lord, help us be people who follow you day by day. Let us be found faithful by your grace, by your strength given to us. It's in your beautiful, powerful, saving name that we pray, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen.